The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Children, if you'll make your way to my left, Children's Church is um, waiting for you with some worship time. And the rest of you, I'm going to ask you to do something I'm sure you'll be able to do. The choir, you can make your way down as well. And then uh, if you'll turn to Romans 2, because we find ourselves in our exposition of the gospel of God as revealed through the book of Romans in verses 17 through 29. But we're only going to cover 17 through 24 this morning. 17 through 24. And then if you're, but I'm going to ask you to mark that with your finger and for the reading of God's word, I'm going to ask you to turn to your right and go to Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Paul's giving a word of testimony in order to use his testimony to point us to a gospel reality and a gospel truth. Philippians chapter 3. Now look with me in Philippians 3. The word of God is the truth. Now, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By the grace of God, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. And as you do, could I ask you to turn back to Romans 2? We find ourselves in verses 17 through 29, but just covering 17 through 24 today. Now, as you're turning back there, and before we jump into that text, I... You know, I, um, my ear to the ground and I pick up not grumbling or murmuring, but whispers. You know, the pastor said we were going to pick up the pace in Revelation, I mean, in Romans chapter one and praise the Lord. We're not going real rapid, but we have picked up the pace and we're moving ahead. But you know, um, let me ask you a question. Do you think he's ever going to get out of this judgment stuff? I mean, we just keep getting back to judgment and judgment and judgment. When can we get to the gospel of God? So let me tell you what Paul would tell you if you said to him, can we get out of the gospel, out of the judgment part and let's get to the gospel part? He would say to you, that's where we are. In fact, he said it, the last verse I read for you two weeks ago when we were preaching through the text, he said, on that day, the judgment day, 
when God will disclose the secrets of the hearts of men according to my gospel. According to the gospel of God. In other words, the reality of the, tr- of the judgment day. And that all must appear. But pastor, I'm a Christian. My name's in the book of life. Yes, and you'll appear there. And your life unfolded will point to the reality that you're in the book of life. Because there will be a changed life, not a perfect life, that evidences the fact that Christ was your Lord and Savior. And you will appear appear there for the purpose of stewardship judgment. And you will appear there for you to know how much you need to praise God. Because when you get there on that day, you'll see just how much of a sinner we were when we were saved. We were more sinful than we ever dared to imagine. And that means our worship will increase because we'll see that God's grace was greater than we could ever hope. And that's one of the purposes that we are there. But let me give you another purpose of the Judgment Day. It's not simply to identify those who are in the books and under condemnation and those who are in the book of life and it's evidenced by the changed life. But there's something else that's happening there. It's sifting and it's sorting. I love that phrase, sort. Whenever I go to overseas, particularly to Europe and to England, they talk about sorting things. We're going to sort this out. I remember my grandmother used to use that phrase all the time. Tell me, go downstairs and sort uh, sort everything into order in your bedroom. And so that this idea of sifting and sorting, and the Bible is very clear that when we get to the judgment, there is going to be a sifting and sorting. Now, by the way, I think we're going through a sifting and sorting right now because we are now starting to taste, and it's not with joy I say that, but it, with reality, we're starting to taste what it's like to live in a culture that's increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. And those who are in it for gain and not in it for Christ, they're going to be sift, they're either going to get converted or sifted and sorted out. But on that day, there will be an absolutely righteous and holy sifting and sorting. In other words, there will be some that we think are saved because of their religious performance. And we're going to find out they were in the vineyard, but not in the vine. And it's going to become evident that day. Because here's what you need to know. Religion cannot save you. Only Christ. Religion cannot save you. Only Christ. Now I want you to pack that away in your mind just for a few moments. You see, the Apostle Paul is doing something. I had the blessing. I had the blessing of leaders in my life, my parents, um, my grandparents, my parents. Uh, coaches, uh, teachers, um, and preachers. And they all knew that leaders in the various spheres of life, when you're talking to people that you're responsible for, you've got to, on the one hand, talk, you've got to talk to them. But on the other hand, sometimes you have to give a, you have to give them a talking to. And that's what Paul is doing. He's going to talk about the majesty of the gospel, but right now he's giving us a talking to. And he's letting us know you got two appointments death and judgment. The dates are in your calendar, you just don't know where they are, but they will be kept. And he wants you to know what's going to happen at that judgment. And he wants you to know that you're going to be there. And he wants you to know that unless you're in Christ, you'll be indicted and under God's judgment according to the light you were given for all eternity. And that place is hell. 
But if you know that day is coming, and you know this day you're helpless and hopeless without Christ, and you flee the wrath to come by coming to Christ, confessing your sins and putting your trust in Him, then in that day, your life will be unfolded with the evidences of your conversion. That's not how you got converted. Those were the evidences. Christ is your Savior, not what you did. Those are just the evidences. But they praise God for the evidences and then also the stewardship that's there. But what he wants to make sure is you're not getting there thinking you've got a defense that's going to work. Did y'all... I, I, no, you're not, you're not old. Most of you are not old enough. Some of you are, though. I love Perry Mason. And I am attracted to the defense lawyers. And I always know what they always say. Okay, what is going to be your defense strategy? What the Apostle Paul is doing is exposing the defense strategies of the Gentiles and the defense strategies of the Jews, and he's dismantling them. They're not going to work on that day. They're not going to work. You remember when, the, when we started our study and it said in Romans 1.18, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And what he is saying is there's this glorious good news gospel. And this good news gospel is that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can be saved. And the two things that you need to be saved, number one, you're dead in your sins and the power of God can raise you up from death unto life and you can be born again. And number two, heaven is for the righteous. And in Christ, you get not the righteousness of men. You get the righteousness of God that's given to you so that you're clothed with the righteousness of God. Well, now what he's saying, the reason that is such good news is because of the bad news. In other words, until the gospel brings you down to your sins and your helplessness and your hopelessness, you'll never be brought up to salvation by grace in Christ. And he's bringing you down. First of all, he brings down the Gentile, who Gentiles in Romans 1, 18 through 32, and who think, hey, I'm okay because I'm okay. I've got a, I've got an irreligion religion. You see, I don't have enough information. Therefore, I have a religion of irreligion. And he's saying, your religion of irreligion, and that's what it is, a religion. Do you know how much faith it takes to suppress the truth that there's a creator? That's an act of faith. And, by, and what else does religion do? It evangelizes. We'll read Romans 1.18. It's not enough to rebel against God and suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident to them. But they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And he says, listen, that which is known of God is evident. His divine nature, his eternal power, it's all out there. You live in the theater of God's glory and with the surround sound shouting at you. Your problem is not that you don't have enough information. Your problem is a heart problem. You suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's the problem. And you've got a religion of denial, a religion of suppression. And the sacrament of rebellion against God is sexual anarchy, sexual promiscuity with its penalty, sexual perversion with its penalty, and it's not enough to sin against God. You have to recruit others with you so that society approves that sin and calls evil good and good evil. And on that day, on that day, you stand accountable, and on that day, part of your accountability is in this day, He gave you over to your sin. You don't want God's will, then he'll give you over to your will. And the giving over to your will will lead to the death spiral of life and culture. The Gentile pagan religion of irreligion stands condemned. Then he knows that there's a group of people that are listening to this and saying, That's right. Give it to him, Paul. And that's the Gentile religionist, the moralist, that has a man-made religion that they love to infect and they love to uh, place upon everyone else but themselves. 
And he says, what about you, O man, that you condemn those who practice these things, yet you practice them yourselves? And what's the key word there? Hypocrisy. A man-made religion, I'm going to be okay at the day of judgment because I condemn the people that are going to be condemned there. But he says, yet you do the same. Your judgment will be even greater because with greater light comes greater responsibility. Now he turns from the religion of the irreligious, pagan, Gentile, and the religion, the man-made religion and false religion of the Gentile. Now he turns to the Jew who has been given true religion through God's divine revelation and who thinks that will be my ticket on that day. I am in the boundaries of true religion. I am within those boundaries and I can rely on that for my salvation. And Paul begins to address it And he does so by using a device he's already used. Remember, after he developed the the judgment and the indictment against the irreligion of the pagan uh, Gentile. And then he moved to the religious Gentile. And he says, you, O man, who condemned those, yet do the same things yourself. Well, now he turns to that same device and he enters into conversation no longer with the Gentile, the irreligious and the false religionist, but now to the Jew who is surrounded by true religion. And he begins to address him. Now, let me, spoiler alert, we're about to get another indictment. We're about to get a dismantling of another of another um, defense mechanism on the day of judgment that will not work. We're about to take one more step to Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what we're about to find out is not only the works of sin bring us to judgment, but the works of true religion without Christ bring men and women to judgment. May I put it this way? I'm not going to get into heaven because I preach sermons in a Bible-believing church. Let me just look at myself. I'm not going to heaven because I've conducted hundreds of Christian weddings according to God's Word. I'm not going to get into heaven because I've been baptized. I'm not going to get into heaven Because I've counseled people. I'm not going to get into heaven because I've shared the gospel with people. The only way I get to heaven is by putting my trust in Christ alone. Alone. I am more than happy to have had the enormous privilege to pastor in Christ's church and preach his word. But that won't get me to heaven. I am enormously blessed to be privileged to shepherd God's people and to share the gospel with a lost and dying world, but that will not get me to heaven. And dear friend, hang on, because what is true about the Jew in the first century who had the had true religion revealed in the opening 39 books of the Bible. We now, 2,000 years later, who have the true religion of the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Christ revealed in the New Testament 27 books, and we have the marks of true religion. If you are engaged in a church committed to true religion, that won't get you to heaven. Only Jesus. This has been a very sobering two weeks for me coming to this sermon. It's very important that we understand it. So let's look at the dialogue that Paul set up with the Jew who had been given true religion by divine revelation in the Word of God. 
and look at the ten privileges of true religion with me. There are ten privileges. Now, they're divided into two. There are the privileges that you receive in true religion, and there are the privileges that are called for in action in true religion. Take your Bibles and look with me in chapter 2 and verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, now by the way, the first time that was used is in the, in, in the history of the, of the Jewish people, this, this nation, um, called Israel, uh, this um, this nation that was of the seed of Abraham. The first time that was used is Second Kings six six, and it wasn't used in a term of derision as sometimes it is today, with uh, the the sinfulness of anti-Semitism. It was used it was used as a identifying factor. It was used as a profession. In other words, those of the seed of Abraham said, "I'm a Jew," meaning we. Unlike the surrounding nations, believe there's one God, believe there's one true religion, believe there's one people of God. That's what we believe, and it was used as a profession. So this is given in a positive sense. If you are, if you call yourself a Jew, now watch, here are the, here are the privileges of true religion. And rely on the law. Now, when the Bible talks about law in this context, it doesn't just mean the Ten Commandments. It means the revealed, infallible, unbreakable Word of God. Another way to say that is the authoritative teaching of, of God, the authoritative Word of God. So you rely on the law of God. That is His Word. You, you say, we have a Word that is true and unbreakable that's been given to us, foundation in true religion. Number two, you not only rely on the law, but you boast in God. You boast in the fact that God, in all of history, has only had a covenanted relationship with one nation, and that is the nation of Israel. So we boast in God. We are a people who not only have received God's word that's unbreakable, that's reliable, but we have God. God, we have God. God has made covenant with us. We boast in God. Unlike all of the surrounding nations, we boast in God. Number three, we therefore, because we have God's word and we have God uh, as a nation, we know the will of God. We know his commandments. We, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, De- Deuteronomy 29, 29, but the things revealed to us and to our children. So we have the will of God to guide us in life through his commandments. Number four, we have, we have and do affirm the excellencies of God, the glory of God. Has been entrusted to us within the holy of holies at the temple, with the truth of His word, with His with His pillar of cloud and fire. All of the excellencies of the attributes of God, His glory, has been entrusted and deposited within us. Number five, we are instructed in the law of God. He has given us teachers. He has given us prophets. To teach us the law of God that has been given to us. So here are the privileges of true religion that's been received in the context of true religion. That is that which was contained and revealed in the opening books of our Bible called, we call the Old Testament. And, uh, which is, of course, God's word in these 39 books. But now the privileges received call for a response. And this is the privileges of true religion and their calling. So he goes on to give us five more privileges, giving us the total of ten. The five privileges that you've received, the law of God, the unbreakable law of God, the boast in God, a covenanted relationship with God, the will of God, his commandments to guide us, the excellencies of God, his glory that's in and surrounding the people, the covenant people, and instructed in the law of God. And that means God has not only given us the word, but also so those to teach us and instruct us. Then he moves from there, and then he says, and then he says this in verse 19. And if you are sure that you yourself are what? A guide to the blind. So you've got the privilege to be a guide to the blind. Number two, you are a light to those who are in darkness. You are a light to those who are in darkness. 
Number three, you are an instructor of the foolish. Now, remember, it's the fool that has said there is no God. So you're an instructor to those who deny God, that there is a God. Number four, that you are a teacher of children. Number five, that you have in the law the embodiment of the knowledge of truth. So here are the, the callings of those who have, uh, who have received these privileges of true religion. A guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, instructor of the foolish, teacher of children, and your stewards of the truth and knowledge that is found in the Word of God that's been given to us. You get the sense here? Do you see the parallels that are working? You've received, now you, now you do. You've been instructed, now instruct. You've been taught, now teach. You've been guided, now guide. And he has set these parallels up uh, profoundly that in true religion, now please listen to me, there is nothing wrong with this list. This is what God has given in true religion, This is what God calls those to whom it is given to do. There is nothing wrong with it. What is wrong is that it is being substituted by the arrogance of men that when I do this, I save myself instead of fleeing to the God who reveals true religion to save us alone, that he alone can save. And now the apostle does something with five intentional rhetorical questions. He then says, here is what you have received. Here is what you're called to do in true religion. But now let me tell you what you're doing. Look at verse, look at the next verse, um, verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You then, you then who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, Do you commit adultery, thought, word, deed? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Then he quotes from Isaiah 52. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, folks, let me just share with you a couple of things here. I hear people say this all the time, and I know what we're trying to get to, but I want us to be careful when we say it. I hear people say, come to Christianity. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. I know what this trying to be said, but that's not true. Christianity is a religion. Why do you think James says, here is true religion? The the key is, is that Christianity is not a man-made religion. It's a God-given religion. But what you are getting at with that statement, and it just needs to be said more precisely, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. What you really mean to say is, Christianity is a religion, but the religion is the way of life that shapes God's people together as his covenant people. But it can't save them. Only a relationship with Christ can save you. That's what you want to say. There's nothing wrong 
Religion means a sacred way of life. There's nothing wrong with having your way of life as a corporate community of God's people to be shaped by God's covenants, God's vows, God's promises, God's means of grace. All of those things that God has given his people as to how you live as a counterculture in the culture of this age. How you're in the world but not of the world. How I feed you, how I shape you together with the means of grace. There's nothing wrong with that. This And this is when... I do that in your life. This is what you're supposed to do. Your own mission, own message and ministry. Here is my, this is true religion when you live this way. But true religion can't save you. It can be an evidence of your salvation, but it can't save you. Only Christ can save you. That's the only one that can save you. And as Paul does this for the Jews 2,000 years ago, it is not a strange uh, application for me to change the word Jew to Christian. You who call yourself Christians. We're in a church that believes the Bible. We're in a church that gives to missions. We're in a church that... uh, that does deeds of mercy. We're in a church that is committed to God-centered worship. We're in a church that believes the sanctity of gender, the sanctity of sexuality within the context of marriage. We, we're in a church that believes in sanctity of life, sanctity of family. We're there. That's, that's where I'm a member of a church like that. The day of judgment, you being a member of church like that will not get you by. You gotta have Christ. You gotta know Him, He knows you. Your profession in true religion will not save you on the judgment day, only your possession of Christ and Christ's possession of you. And I want you to hear me on that. Don't believe I've got many people here that I'm speaking to that are captured in Romans 1, 18 through 34. Although you may be fighting some of those issues. I don't think I've got many people here or you likely would not be here that have opted out for a man-made religion, Romans 2, 1 through 6. But I could have some people here who I'm preaching to today. And you are on my heart. I know you want to move on. Let's talk about the gospel. But this is a gospel message. You may knowingly or some of us may unknowingly think if I joined a Bible-believing church committed to true religion, that will save me. It won't. It can't. Only Christ can save you. Only Christ. And the Apostle Paul is getting at it with these questions. You've got the surroundings and the trappings of the right profession. But you don't have the possession. You're not Christ. And Christ is not you. Is in you. You're in his church. You're in that place of Hebrews 6. Those who have seen, have tasted, have experienced the good things to come. You're in the vineyard. But are you in the vine? When I was a kid, my grandmother had, (laughs) I love these, scuppernong vine. Do they still, does God still grow those? I don't know. I, I hope so. Um, I, I'm available. Scuppernong vine and a scuppernong jelly, I still remember it. But I remember one of my duties at 2812 Central Avenue where they lived was to go through and pull all of the fake vines that were growing up that looked like vines but they weren't in the vine they were just in the they were just in the vineyard they were on the arbor 
when we get there on that day, there are some in the arbor, but they're not in the vine. Judas, Demas. John says there are those who are who go out from us because they never really were part of us. Well, how do you get part of us? It's not church membership. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's how you get there. And what he does with these rhetorical questions, I've tried to, tried to work on a, a way to illustrate this for you, and this is my best one. You know, I, now that COVID stuff is stuffed up and all that stuff's going on, I don't, I don't even know what to say because I'll say something wrong. So COVID light or whatever. And now I'm traveling more because I'm being asked to go do things more. So I was wondering, our governor had this new thing that came into place on June the 1st, thus transition plan to a new normal for us. But I was wondering, what about the airport? And I went, had to fly to Philly this week. So I got down to Philadelphia. And I said, I was getting out of the car, and Cindy says, take your mask. I said, honey, I mean, our governor said, she said, I don't think the governor's got much to say about this airport. So I took my mask, glad I took my mask, because when I got in there, the very first thing I hear is, it is a federal mandate that everybody wear a mask in the airport, and if you don't, you're not going to fly. Well, I needed to fly, so okay, I'm not going to make a big deal of this, I'll wear the mask. And so I came to the TSA agent. As I arrived at the TSA agent, he said, do you have your ticket? Yes, and I'm, I'm so proud of this. I've learned how to get my electronic ticket on my iPhone and how to put it on that thing. And I'm paperless on tickets now. And I learned how to do that. And it, the green light came on. And then he said to me, do you have a, do you have identification? I said, yes. And I handed him my driver's license, which uh, a number of Hollywood uh, people have seen it. And they invited me to come be a, be a movie star after looking at that picture. Well, not really. But uh, so I gave, them, I gave him the, my driver's license. Now, you know what happened next, don't you? He said, pull your mask down and let me see who you really are. Well, I got the papers. I got the ticket. I got the credentials. I've got my membership certificate. I've got my baptismal certificate. I even have my Sunday school pin. I got my Alliance Youth Fellowship pin. I've got my ordination papers hanging on my wall. I'm a gospel minister. Not of any church, of a PCA church. And not of any PCA church, Briarwood Presbyterian Church. On that day, that won't matter. Take your mask off. That's the word that Jesus uses more than anybody else. Hippocrates. You see, the actors in those days, they would have a play of five, six people. But you only had to have one actor because as they did different parts, they just put a different mask in front. Take the true religion mask off and let's see what's in your heart. Do you have Christ? Does Christ have you? So here's the takeaway. The judgment will infallibly, I've just made this as plain as I could, the judgment infallibly will reveal those who are relying upon the external, will reveal those who are relying upon the external identifications of the privileges of true religion, but are devoid of a personal relationship with Christ. Here's a question. You see what Paul has just written? Who do you think Paul might have in mind? Why would Paul write this? Because Paul has given you his testimony. There was a day he thought, I am a Jew. I confess I'm a Jew. I was born of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. As to the law of 
I was impeccable. I was even so impeccable they made me a Pharisee. As to zeal, when they told me to persecute the church, I did it. I was the number one persecutor. I was the one they entrusted the death warrants to for Christians. There, what was accepted as true religion... I was a, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to zeal, I was a persecutor. As to the law, I was found unrighteousness. Now he then says this, and those things I have now counted as loss. I count that as rubbish in order, in order to be found in Christ. You see, I hear people quote this, I've counted all things as loss. And well, I gave up uh, drinking, I gave up smoking, I gave up this. And there's a place for that discussion. But when he's talking about giving up, when he's calling about loss, he is not talking about, he's not talking about the trappings of life. What he is saying is, I, at that time, believed My trappings and privileges in true religion would save me. Today, I count that as rubbish. Not that they're rubbish in and of themselves, but they're rubbish as a foundation for salvation. They can't save you. That's why Jesus gives you this illustration. There were two men in a temple. One was a Pharisee. There's a man known for true religion, impeccable commitments. Over here is a tax collector who is considered a traitor, who is the off-scouring. And this man over here prays to himself, Lord, I'm so glad that I pay my tithes. I don't commit adultery. I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. And the tax collector couldn't even lift his head to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a, a, a sinner. And Jesus says, now let me tell you which one goes down. The guy who depended upon his true religion or the guy who said, I'm a sinner, helpless and hopeless, and I cast myself only upon Jesus. Now, will that lead to a life that's framed by the precepts of God's Word? Yes, true religion can be a marvelous evidence of salvation, but it is never the ground of salvation. Only Christ can save us. Only Christ by His power and His righteousness can and will save His people. It is that glorious truth that Christ is the one who is ours. And when when we stand before the judgment seat and the mask is taken off, what will be seen is Jesus. I am his and he is mine. And that is our only hope. Just like you sung it earlier. While we were singing, I was thinking of the sermon and thinking of you and thinking of me. My only hope in life and death is Christ alone. That is the only hope. So let me just say it plainly and close in prayer. Brothers and sisters, works do not save you. Works can evidence your salvation, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Good works are glorious evidences. That is, a life of true religion is a glorious evidence And that is its purpose as it shapes us. But works can't save you. Not even good works. Not even true religion good works. None of us are going to heaven because we tithe. None of us are going to heaven because we give out gospel tracts. We're going to heaven when we've repented and confessed of our sins and cast ourselves upon Christ alone.
and it of course is a danger that some may say, well, it's not just, I don't go to one of those liberal churches. I go to a church on mission, on message, and on ministry. I'm a member there. I've got my baptism certificate. I've got, if that's what you're depending upon, you'll be indicted on that day. Your hope is Christ. Don't you love the EE question? If you stand before God and say, why should you let me into heaven? What is your answer? Christ alone. Christ alone. He alone is my hope. And the judgment day, the mask is removed, and those who know Christ are His. You see, the Apostle Paul, who had this impeccable credentials from true religion that he was depending on to save him, said, that now is rubbish. Oh, he still had the evidences of true religion, but they were evidences of his salvation. They no longer were the ground of his salvation. And when he got converted, his testimony says, I left that and all my sin and arrogance and pride and put my trust in Christ. And then you fast forward to Second Timothy at the end of his life. And the man who counted all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ, Philippians 3, at the end of his life writes this, I suffer these things, and I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. Not what. I can't get into heaven with a theological exam. He didn't even say, I know when I believed. But boy, what a conversion experience. But he didn't put his faith in his conversion. He didn't put his faith in his theological acumen. He did not put his faith in faith. He didn't say, I know that I believed. He didn't say, I know what I believe. I know when I believe. I know that I believe. He said this, I personally know whom I have believed, and he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. Close with Christ today, if you never have. Close with him. Come to him. Come to me. Oh, I love true religion. Folks, I love it dearly. I love his church. I love her covenants. I love her vows. I love the means of grace. I love the Lord's day. I love his offices, elder and deacon. I love all of those things. But none of them are designed to save us. Christ alone is your Savior. In Christ alone, I place my trust and find my glory only in the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Please speak to the hearts of all of those that are here. Lord, some may have come seeking today. May they be grateful to hear that they're, that you have your churches that are seeking to be true to your word. But may they not put their trust in those churches, but put their trust in Christ. God, I thank you so much that when we trust Christ, we can function as members of the body of Christ. But that is the evidence of our saving relationship. Not a substitute. It will not stand in the day of judgment. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even if it's been an effort at true religion righteousness. It is only Christ that saves. Our works can evidence that salvation. But there's only one work that can save us. And that's the work of Christ. 
On the cross where he bore our sins and gives us his righteousness. On the cross where he cuts out our heart and gives us a new heart. On the cross where he takes away our sin record and gives us a new record. So I pray that everyone here that is in the sound and under the sound of my voice would not simply hear my voice, but the voice of Jesus who says by the Spirit through the church, come to me. I will give you rest. Jesus, I pray that no one here will arrive on that day there without coming to Christ. As Paul faced appointment number one, his death, he anticipated appointment number two. I know whom I have believed. Lord, would you give that glorious assurance to any and all here that we wear not a mask of irreligion, a mask of false man-made religion, or even a mask of true religion. But we are Christ. And our hope is Him alone. Just take a few moments in prayer. Jesus, hear the prayers of your people giving you praise because you gave them eyes to see and ears to hear. And while they love the true religion of your church, their hope is Christ. And those here today who maybe unknowingly or knowingly were relying on true religion to save instead of Christ, may they flee the wrath to come by fleeing to Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.